Hi, I'm Marshall Ramsey. For years, I've drawn the most interesting people in Mississippi. Now, I get to interview them, too. Welcome to Conversations Podcast, where I sit down with the famous and folks who should be famous, and we just talk. She's been called one of the most accomplished political and communication strategists in America today. And she's from right here in Mississippi. Pascagoula native Jennifer Palmieri held top positions in the administrations of President Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. And she was head of communications for Hillary Clinton's last presidential campaign. And now she can add author to her resume. And dear Madam President, Jennifer draws from her experience to make a statement to the next generation of women leaders for life after breaking the glass ceiling. Jennifer, welcome. I mean, you literally just came in on two wheels from Oxford, so thank you for joining us yeah, today. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks you're, for you're having me. You're out there signing books. I am. I yeah. am, just, which I love. It's I know. Amazing. Isn't it fun? I mean, it's, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, I, I, you know, you get to write this book, and then you get to go around the country and talk about it, and people want you to sign it for them. And, and you get to I, come home. I get to come to Mississippi, yeah. which you know, it's been. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to see, uh, you know, I'm going to see friends from Pascagoula who are coming to Jackson tonight. So, uh-huh. yeah. Awesome. I know. It's awesome. really great. It's really great. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Mississippi, though. There's not six degrees of separation. There's two. <laughs> so when you come home, I mean, it's like everybody and their mama's coming to yeah, come see they, you. Uh, and even those who, you know, might are on a different political uh, you know, side than what? I am. No. They, Mississippi, I, I know it's, it's very rare. It's yeah. very rare. But they always manage to say something nice like, we're so proud of you, and we're not sure who worked harder, President Trump or you. But they, you know, but yeah. uh, so they're very generous. But they do manage to, to squeak out a compliment. They do. They yeah, really do. That's yeah, awesome. no, I really appreciate it. It's great. It's um, really great. You know, Pascagoula, and, and of course, a lot of people when they think Pascagoula, they think Trent Lott. Right. So, yes. You know, here's somebody from your side of the aisle and his side of the aisle, all coming yeah. from one city. But I, it's a great story because really, you do have a Trent Lott connection. I do. That is what Trent Lott is. Why I got into politics because my mother, uh, when we lived in Pascagoula, she uh, worked on his first camp- congressional campaign. She was the volunteer coordinator, and a good fr- family friend was the campaign manager, Davis Webb. And uh, that was how I got interested in politics. And so my mom used to put me and Dana Doyle, who uh, she lives in Jackson now, Dana Doyle Martin. Um, she would put us in Trent Lott sandwich boards and put us out in front of Jerry Lee's supermarket in Pascagoula and have us pass out uh, flyers to people. So I am surprised it's during one of the campaigns that those photos didn't pop up somewhere. So we're really devastated. We cannot find if there are photos of me with Trent Lott because she also made me do this on Halloween. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't. We can't find them. But uh, I did. I did tell Senator Lott about it. Because when I worked for President Clinton and he would uh, come over uh, for budget negotiations and um, he was disappointed to learn that I, you know, someone so close to his campaign had gone in the other direction. Gone to the dark side or whatever in in his uh, mind. (laughs) Yeah, I see him him every few months in D.C. I run into him. It's always really great. That is cool. That's what a great story. Your dad was a Navy guy. Right. So y'all, you get to live all around the country Mm -hmm. and you have... You had three sisters, right? Right, yeah, so, three older wow. sisters. Yeah. Your dad must have been, he was outnumbered. Yeah, he was, he was, <laughs> he was totally he was outnumbered. Grossly, he was grossly outnumbered, I yeah. yes. Even the dogs were, were girls. Oh, so. wow. Um, but uh, we had a, it's a, you know, it was a neat thing in our family because each of us were born someplace uh, different, yeah. each of the girls. So Mississippi gets to be my place. That's right. You yeah. get your own You get your own home state. It's neat. It's something that I share with my family, but it's unique to me. It's my state. One thing I can say about you and just from, you know, being a media guy, following you and, mm-hmm. and you know, seeing your interviews and just your, your record, of course, with working with Bill Clinton, you're not shy. <laughs> 
and, and I would think that having three sisters and growing up in that household, I mean, there was there was no gender deal. I mean, y'all just right. basically all had to do your duties and you all had to, you had to speak up, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, it's a funny thing. I, I have thought about that, that I didn't, I think that that might have made it easier for me in the workplace because I didn't know anything. I didn't understand. I never experienced at home something different with with a sibling being treated differently yeah. than me. And, and there were six of us, all very loud. My dad comes from an Italian family. No one ever completes a sentence in my family. You just have to, like, you know, you got to be really aggressive yeah. and, and get in there. I bet dinner was great at your house. It was. <laughs> really, it was. It was a pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty active. It still is. My father's yeah. terrible. My father just interrupts <laughs> constantly, and it makes my, yeah, it makes my mother and I crazy. But I, I bet. Yeah. I bet. But, uh, we got to talk a little bit about your, your career and how you got started because you, you and I are coming from about the same era. And mm-hmm. I remember me watching Watergate and Jimmy yeah. Carter, and I started seeing all the cartoons, and I started drawing, and that's how I ended up doing what I do. It's amazing. And you kind of had the same similar story. I did, yeah, because yeah. I, so I was interested in Watergate because yeah. Trent Lott was elected, and then he when he went to Washington— you know, he was put on, I'm not sure if it was the House Impeachment Committee or Judiciary, but he was, as a freshman, he was put on, freshman Republican, he was put on the committee that nobody wanted to be on, which right. is the one that had to pass judgment on President Nixon. And so I was interested to watch that, and I watched all the Watergate hearings. Um, I was like, you know, nine, I guess. That's not normal. I know, it's not normal. <laughs> and I, so I was fascinated um, by it, and... Then, but then I got really into Jimmy Carter when yeah. I was in, I, he was elected when I was in fourth grade. And I remember I was part of a debate in my class and I took the side of uh, Jimmy Carter. And wow. so then I was, uh, so then that's when I became a Democrat. And then I worked for, I ended up going to high school in California mm-hmm. and had the good fortune of having Leon Panetta be my congressman in California. So I um, interned for him mm-hmm. when I was in college and that's how I, I worked for him after college. And he went to the Clinton White House and I went with him. I did um, one of the, I'm trying to think which one, the, the White House Correspondence Center. Mm-hmm. I did the thing when he was the one who actually spoke as the president and go on that oh, yeah. one. So I got to yeah. deal with him a little bit. Yeah. And he, I really, really liked him. Oh, he yeah. seemed really down to earth. He is the, I mean, I'm just so lucky because he's yeah. just, talk about a model public servant and yeah. someone who's served the country for decades and decades and is respected by both parties and really is in it to solve problems and it's just really and he's a lot of fun too. So that was a great way for you to get started. So lucky. Yeah. I'm so lucky. Yeah. Yeah, and you were I mean you were working in the Clinton administration mm-hmm. in your 20s. Yeah. That's pretty I mean that's pretty high high powered right there. It was. It was crazy yeah. to be in the yeah, you worked I worked in the West Wing in the White House when I was like 26 and I remember the first few weeks cuz I was on the same worked in the chief of staff's office on the same floor as the president. Yeah. And as an oval office and there's a, if you go down the corridor, there's a part where the, where the, uh, where the hallway starts to curve mm-hmm. because it's the Oval Office. Yeah. And it was just, the first month I worked there, it made me want to vomit because I was just like so anxious to be that close to, you know, it's just like so overwhelming. Um, and, uh, but it was a good experience because I think you, I learned at a young age that even with the most talented people, yeah. Uh, working, you know, that the country has to offer, working on a problem. Some things are just, you know, hard for humans to uh, uh, to to tackle. And it, you know, taught me to not not wait and expect that there's a perfect answer for, answer for every problem. You right. just got to, like, go forward and do the best that you uh, the best that you can. So it gave me a lot of confidence early on. Well, and 
we're going to get into the book. And I number one, I have to admit, when I first picked it up, I'm like, <laughs> dear Madam President, I'm not sure this is going to be for me. Um, and the more I read it, I kept finding little bits of wisdom in it. I mean, this is obviously written in the form of a letter to a future, maybe maybe you, mm-hmm. like when you were 12. This right. would be a letter to yourself yeah, when you're right. 12. Or some, some, young, some girl in, mm-hmm. in Pascagoula right now who might right. be watching this. Yeah. Would be a yeah. perfect book for her. It is. But it's also a book that I'm going to hand off to my sons, Yeah, too. that's really great yeah. to hear. I have heard that from a lot of fathers that have read yeah. it that thought that it's good for their sons to read it. Because I don't, I think that... Um, you know, I wrote it as a letter of advice to the first woman president, but it's really right. just these are my this is this is what I saw um, uh, with uh, having worked for the first right. woman nominee. Um, and this is sort of the lessons that I've learned in my own career about how a woman yeah. can be successful. And it um, I, I hope that when I I, I think part of my, my theory is that. There are sort of customs in the workplace and, and politics that are um, how, you know, how we're supposed to behave and that, you know, you always have to be strong. You always have to be, um, you always have to be serious. You always have to be tough. You have to be competitive. You and have that to nod. You have to nod when you get bad news. You yeah. can't, you can't show any emotion. And that might, I think this point in stay and age, it might be holding women, uh, women and men both back. So I think there's lessons in there for you know, boys and young men too. Well, I thought about one lesson you you talk about in the book when you were talking about getting that feeling in your gut. Yeah. When you were working with President Obama, mm-hmm. you were in the room, and I and I believe, if I remember correctly, there mm-hmm. were like a whole room full of women too, which right. was kind of cool right. in its own right. Yeah. But he said something to you that was really powerful. Yeah, he said he could tell that um, he could tell that uh, one of the women in the room was was holding back and yeah. not saying exactly what she thought or just you could just Mm -hmm. tell by her face and he said he said it to her specifically but i could tell that he meant for all of us and he said speak up you know you were in the room he's like sort of gestured around he's like see how the walls around it it's it's the oval office there is no other room like this this is the room and what it made me realize was not only did as the president he need to hear from you because he he wants to hear from as many perspectives right. as, as possible, but also that you weren't doing your job if yeah. you didn't you know and it's sort of scary to think yeah. my job I'm I'm the person here that is best able to advise the president of the United States that's a pretty mm-hmm. uh, heady thing to process and but it made me realize that uh, your perspective has um, you know your perspective has value. And you're not fulfilling your job if you don't if you don't speak up. And I think that you know that's true in politics, but that's true mm-hmm. in life. Right. Everybody. When I learned from watching both Bill, both Bill Clinton, Bill uh, Bill Bill Obama, both <laughs> Bill Clinton and Barack Obama was it was the people in the room who didn't look mm-hmm. like everybody else, um, women, particularly mm-hmm. women of color, that who they gained the most insight from the people that if you didn't go to the same college as everybody else and have the same jobs is your perspective is more you know matters more not less and i i I think women um you know a lot of women need to hear that to give them the extra push well if you think about it i mean really women have not been involved in politics but maybe my i mean i'm trying to think my grandmother just barely could vote right so that's i I mean that's like 100 years yes it was 
And this was something I didn't appreciate. I mean, I thought that uh, I thought the Clinton campaign would be hard, but I wasn't really focused on that electing the first woman president was going to be hard. And it or that even that big of a deal. And then when you step back and look at it from the scope of our country's history, it's been, it was 1920, so right. it hasn't even been 100 years. Hillary's mother was born on the day the Senate gave final passage to give women the right to vote. Her wow. mother. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know? So, I mean, you look at the Not whole... her great-grandmother. Right. It's a new... It's still a new phenomenon. And I feel like Hillary's generation, the baby boomers, they had to do... They were the ones that were breaking glass ceilings in all the professions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, lawyers and right. doctors and... Uh, politicians, and they had to do the job. They had to prove that they could do the job just right. the same as a man. Not even, and, you know, and maybe even a, maybe even a little better. A mm-hmm. friend of mine said she had to dress like a girl, think like a man, and work like a dog in order to. That's uh, a great quote. It's good, right? Yeah, yeah that is good. she's yeah, she's from Salt Lake. She's you know, she's got a little Western spirit. Um, but I, you know, I've always thought I could do the job just yeah. as well as a man, but I don't want to. I want to do the job the way I want to do it, right? right. And that might be a little different. You kind of came to, I don't know if this epiphany is the right word on mm-hmm. this. Okay, so first of all, and you lost your sister right. to, to early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, yes. I mean, and I lost my dad to it, and I know how incredibly draining and difficult yeah. and hard that was. But that was right in the middle, like in the last 45 days of the election. Yeah. When things were getting really crazy at that point. And so you were at the very end, Harvard has a deal usually after every campaign (laughs) where they bring in, you know, kind of a postmortem to write the first pages of history. And you're supposed to sit there and we just lost. Everything's great. And you weren't having any of that. And you could tell that, I mean, obviously your emotions are raw and you weren't in the mood to nod on that. Right. No, I wasn't. No. And I I have a chapter of the book that's called Nod Less and Cry More, which, which is based on the, um, on that Harvard experience, because I do think particularly as women in politics or business or just women in life, if you get tough news, you're expected to, you know, absorb yeah. it and be tough. Stiff upper and, lip and all that. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think people really look for, particularly in the campaign in politics, I've always felt that, you know, they'll see how people react to bad news, but they'll really look at to see how a yeah. woman reacts. And, um, you know, so I, all through the campaign, I proved I could, you know, I was tough and I could take bad yeah. news and act on it. Um, and then Harvard came, and it was three weeks after the election, so it was still pretty new. Yeah. And, um, you know, normally you're gracious. This is an opportunity as the losers to congratulate the winners, say maybe what you did wrong, mm-hmm. and um, and the winners are gracious back. And, and there I, wasn't a lot of graciousness going there was on. was not. It yeah. was like a schoolyard. It was really remarkable. And um, I had imagined myself delivering this with a lot of, uh, with like a steely resolve and just the right words. And um, that's not at all what happened. I was, uh, my voice was shaking. I had tears coming down my face and I was very emotional when I said it. Yeah, because I really cared about what I said. Yeah, It was really important to me. Well, you know, a lot of people said that about Hillary when her concession speech, why wouldn't she like that more in the campaign? (laughs) And of course you said, well, she was like that. You just basically weren't. Well, here's the thing with the concession speech. Everybody loved the concession speech because that was Hillary. She was selflessly putting the country's interests ahead of her own and offering up support and, Mm -hmm. you know, telling people that we should we should give the president the benefit of the doubt and being very gracious. And we like that. We particularly like that in women. But that's not what candidates get to do. Candidates have to say, I am the best person for the job. I want this job. I want the highest job 
not just in this land, on the planet. <laughs> I want the most important job on the planet, and I am the best person for it, and here are all the reasons why that other guy is bad. Right. Okay, you know, we don't, we don't like that. We don't like, we don't love hearing that, and mm-hmm. I, don't, I think we really don't love hearing that from a woman. So it wasn't possible for her to be, because, you know, people would say to me after, the, that concession speech was so great. Where was that Hillary? And, you know, it's like, well, she's always been the same person, but when she's in a different role, you're going to look at her differently. You know, you've, uh, you've got an acronym for it. Yes, T-S-A-H-I-J-D-L. There's something about her I just don't like. And that came from back even before, that was when, before Bill Clinton even ran for governor. It was an amazing thing. I, well, I, I, um... I was able to, that's something we would hear about her all the time, yeah. right, during the campaign. And people would say, how are you going to deal with this? How are you going to deal with it? Or, or there's something about her I just don't trust. Right. And I, um, I went back to, you know, find old coverage of her and videos, of, you know, interviews of her and about yeah. her. And you can go as far back as the 92 campaign. And, you know, they do man on the street, women on the street interviews. What do you think Bill Clinton's wife? And people aren't mean spirited or, you know, right. they're just like, you know, there's just something about her I just don't like. And... It's just something about her I just don't trust. And it was really liberating for me because I thought, I am not solving this problem in the six months left in the 2016 campaign. Like, this is, she, I think the best way I can think about it is that she can be vexing. She can vex yeah. people. She can confound people because her whole adult life, she's been just stepping a little bit outside of a role that a right. woman traditionally has held, whether that was being a lawyer, making more money than her husband, not changing her name. Um, and that was a point, really, you had for yeah. anybody that wants to run for office in the future, because there are going to be moments when they step outside of maybe roles that people have defined for yeah. them, and it's going to cause that kind of backlash. And just understand what that's about. Right. And I think that I don't think it doesn't mean everybody's sexist. It doesn't mean people, everybody who right. voted for Hillary is sexist. It doesn't even mean that that's why she lost. It just means Because I've drawn a lot of cartoons about her, and I didn't want you being mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I go back and look at all okay, Marshall's I'm cartoons. In trouble now. No, okay, no, can we edit no, that no, out? No, no. no. So um, it, um, I, I think that. So I, you know, I advise women. It's like understand it's there, yeah. but keep a positive attitude because we all just inherited this world, right? None right. of us made it, and some of these, you know, and, and women made a t- amazing progress in the last hundred years. But it's only been a hundred years, and the workplace and politics have been yeah. around for centuries upon centuries. And the exciting thing for the generation of women now is, you know, you get to, you know, the, the baby boomer generation got us to the point where we proved that women are capable of, of doing any job a man can. And now we get to do it, imagine it our way. Right. And you might still get criticized and don't expect to always be able to please everyone. You're not going to be able to, but yeah. keep a good attitude about it. Yeah, well, even the greatest generation, you had Rosie the Riveter. Yeah. I mean, getting in there and doing things that nobody thought women could do, and they did it very yeah. well yeah. as well. You know, I got to the very end of the book. There was two or three lines in there that just really made me realize, you know, why politics have changed, why this election turned. It's, I think the key word would be disruption. Right. You know, I yeah. mean, the Trump campaign ran, and Steve Bannon himself said he's a fan of, of Art of War. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there was so much disruption on it, and y'all were basically running a very traditional campaign. You thought the rules were a certain way, and you just kept bumping up against things that just made no sense, and that had to be very difficult. It was really, it was really difficult, and what, how I've come to think about it is that I think 
just as there's been this disruption that's come to all these other industries and you know parts of our life from yeah. you know thank Amazon. you internet thank you internet yeah from yeah. yeah any one person on the planet has a platform now to communicate with everyone on the planet it's yeah. like it is a revolution and yeah. i don't think that we've still wrapped our heads around it right. but for me i think that donald trump and the way that he ran his campaign it was disruption that come to politics to prove to me that the way we've been playing the game was broken. Right. I don't think that his way is the future. I think it proves that the system was broken. And yeah. he took a theory of politics, which is if you can't convince people, if you can't convince people in the middle to be for you, just try to jack up the numbers of the people that do support right. you and like shoot the gap that way. And he managed to pull it off. And I, what I'm, I'm encouraged now to see so many people... Uh, there's so many new candidates running for office, so many women running for office. Right, you have the Me Too movement that's out yeah, there, people standing up all... and having voices that they never had the courage to have, and they yeah. have now. So, yeah. I mean, there so. is good that has come out of this moment. Yeah. Elizabeth Edwards, um, somebody that you were very mm -hmm. close to, and I, I loved what she said. Of course, she lost a child at age 16, and no parent should ever lose a child. Yeah. And, but she talked about her chalkboard. Mm -hmm. And having all these things on her chalkboard and it got cleaned off. But I loved what she said. It's not about making sure your life is rewarding. It's making sure that it, your life matters. Right. Because you can't control, you can't control your life and you can't control outcomes, but you can, um, you can put, you can make sure that you're putting effort into something that is important to you and that matters. And that's not something that any circumstance or person can, right. can take away from you. And I, I saw her do it. I saw, you know, I, I got to be friendly with a, a parent who lost a child in Newtown. I see Mark Barden. I see him do that. Um, and, and I don't know how he does that. I know. I have no clue. The, the Mark yeah. Barden, Nicole Hockley, uh, she lost her son Dylan and, um, they they went to the White House and yeah. you know met with President Trump after the Parkland shooting and they're just so diligent and do whatever they can every day and I think they partly do it to make their you know sons' memories Dylan and uh, Daniel matter and their you know their sons' lives continue yeah. to matter and their own. So your life afterwards, you probably had a little bit of a crisis, I would imagine, <laughs> after the election. I, I I would have. I mean, I think anybody would have trying to figure out what's next. Mm -hmm. And I think that this book is probably the result of you wanting to make your life matter. You, yes, that yeah. is exactly right. You want, I wanted to. You want something positive to come from that experience. You yeah. want it. You just don't want it all to be for naught. And it's been successful. It's done really well. So it has. Far. It's yeah. uh, when you. Uh, it is uh, last week. I got the call that it would. It was for on the New York Times bestseller list and number one. And yeah. then Jim Cummings will come. Jim Cummings book will come this weekend and crush me. He, he causes but you problems just, all the time. I mean, seriously, I'm just glad I got my wake. <laughs> Just grateful. In the 2016 version of my life, I would not have, you know, my, our, our yeah. books would have come out in the same day and it would have just overwhelmed me. Here you're in your 20s and you've got mentors. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got Leon Panetta we talked about. Right. Um, and you, Harold Ickes was one of your mentors. Yeah. I mean, what, um, talk about some high-powered mentors. <laughs> I mean, you're doing pretty well here. Right. Evelyn Lieberman had a quote yeah. that I think, you know, and... I was trying to think of something that reminded me of the whole book. It would be people take their cue from you. Yeah. So if there's, like I said, there's a 12-year-old right now in Pascagoula right. watching yeah. you right now. 
that's some pretty strong advice. It really is. It's just, I, she told me that, you know, as a young woman, she was the deputy chief of staff under President Clinton, is that, you know, if you act like your opinion matters, people are going to think your opinion matters. Yeah. If you act like you belong in the room, people are going to think you belong in the room. And I think that it's good to assume good intentions from your colleagues yeah. or fellow students and not, um, and expect that your opinion's going to uh, be welcome yeah. and that it will be respected. And, um, yeah, so I want, you know, young girls to, to hear that. And also that just to know if, if you don't, if, if, if you're one of, if there's, if you're in a meeting of six people and yeah. two of them are women and four of them are men, your, your perspective matters more, not less. And I don't think anyone looks at the country today and thinks that we have everything figured out and that we have all the tools we need and all the solutions that we need to address our problems and yeah. bridge divides. No one thinks that. So you probably have whatever, whatever you're holding inside of you, the perspective that you have is going to be of value because we really need to hear from everybody and have everybody be in on what our solution, ultimate solutions are going to be. But that's tough if you think about it. If you grow up or you are taught that maybe your opinion doesn't matter as much right. or because Mom. you look different or you're the mm -hmm. different gender and everything else, it's tough when you're older to have the self-esteem, to have the courage to get up and say, you know what, this yeah. is what I think. So. It is. And I had I actually had a problem in that when I worked for President Obama, even as the White House communications director, which should give you this should give you the confidence and standing to think that your opinion matters. Right. right? What do you think? Because you had that platform. Right. But what I also found that happened to me was I would have some doubts. You know, people refer to it as the imposter syndrome I would have these doubts thinking mm -hmm. I would have in my head what I thought. But then I would also be, be considering the other people I knew who might have my job and be better than me yeah. at it. And, and then that can make you doubt your own views. And so I finally decided to allow myself to believe that if you had a national competition to find the best White House communications mm -hmm. director, a reality TV show maybe, uh, you could probably find somebody who was better than me, but not that much better. Right. Just like, just at the margins, just like <laughs> marginally better. And I'm the one that's in the room. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to speak up. So you should, you know, you should understand that uh, if you act like you belong, people think you do. If you think, if you act like your opinion needs to be respected, mm -hmm. it will be. Your perspective matters. And if that still fails you, just understand that, you know, maybe there's somebody who's got a better opinion than you, but not that much better. I keep hearing Hamilton's in the room. Yeah, in the room, right. Yes, so, in the room where it happens. Yeah. Yes. I keep hearing that for some reason. The, uh, it's a funny <laughs> thing because, you know, President Obama said that to me before Hamilton. Yeah. But then once he's a huge Hamilton fan. Oh, yeah. And once it came out, he would. Yeah, I mean, he, he was there when it was that. born. He was. That's he was right, there. Lin-Manuel yeah. Miranda came to the White House and tried out his, yeah. you know, first new song on. On, yeah, the first on the song Alexander Hamilton. We've got to get you to a book signing. So yes, thank yes. you so much for coming oh, in and pleasure. talking to me. Yeah, really fun. Thanks. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast to be updated on new episodes. Conversations is produced by Mississippi Public Broadcasting.